Amen. Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible with you, uh, open up to Psalm 19. Uh, and if you don't, that's okay. You can read along on the screens with us. But we're going to be in Psalm 19 this morning. And it's good to be back uh, with you. I uh, appreciate Pastor Jeremy preaching for us last week. I know he always does a great job. And so thank you, Pastor Jeremy, for that. Uh, but it's good to be back. So me and my family, we were in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, this last week. And uh, we were primarily there for the Southern Baptist Convention, which we attended. Um, but we also tried to make a vacation out of it. Uh, which is kind of hard to do with three kids uh, dragging them around a huge convention center in downtown uh, Nashville. And, uh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't mention the fact that I waited too late to sign our kids up for childcare. It was already full, but we'll leave that alone. Um, but uh, we had a good time. We tried to make the best of it. I think we got a picture here I can show you. Yeah, oh yeah. There's my oldest and my second. Uh, with um, the king of rock and roll. So there you go. Uh, but that's, that's one of those moments where you're like, hey kids, just stand here and act like you're happy, okay? Um, we need to put this on Facebook. All right, so, uh, but we had a good time. The kids really had a blast. But you know, it's, it, Nashville's a cool town. It really is. Um, and it's super, super centered around music. Obviously, it's called Music City. And it's pretty cool if you think about it that a whole town uh, is named after music, right? And that should really tell us how powerful that music really is. Uh, I don't think there's anything else in the world, if you think about it, that can shape our emotions so effectively and consistently as music. Music is so powerful, right? So I don't know about you, but for me, when I listen to 80s music, man, that's just like, I'm in my zone, you know, like I'm just carefree. I'm, I'm fun spirited, right? It's just good. It's just fun, right? 80s music is just fun. I love it. Uh, maybe when you listen to Frank Sinatra, right? It makes you feel classy and uh, like you should be eating at Olive Garden, right? Because that's all they play there. Uh, maybe when you listen to the national anthem, uh, it makes you feel patriotic, right? And respectful as it should. And maybe when you listen to country music, it makes you feel depressed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but hey, look, regardless of your favorite genre of music, here's something we can all agree on. Music is powerful. It really is. It, it helps us express our deepest emotions that, that sometimes we can't put into words. Sometimes music does that for us. I think God designed it that way. I think God designed music, I think it's a gift from Him to us, and so whether you grew up listening to it on whatever that thing is, right, or something even before that, or those shiny round things called CDs, or now we don't even have anything, right? It's just all digital and streaming out of space or whatever, right? I mean, it's amazing. But however and regardless of how you grew up listening to music and how you listen to it now, it's so powerful because it really does shape our emotions. It helps us express ourselves in ways that maybe we can't find the words to do. You know, God created us as emotional beings. You know why? Because we are created in His image and he is an emotional God. God has emotions. We see that evidenced all throughout the scriptures. We see God himself expressing different 
forms of emotion. Now, he always does it in a proper way. Whereas we, on the other hand, as sinful, broken people, we struggle. We struggle with our emotions. And like many things in our lives, we, we don't always articulate them well. Sometimes we let them drive and shape us too much. Some of us wear our emotions on our sleeves. Some of us keep them bottled up inside of us. But regardless of how you express your emotions or don't express your emotions, here's what I want us to see over the next seven weeks. The Psalms are for you. The Psalms are for everybody because they help us express those deepest feelings of emotion in us. And when you really dive into what they are and what they mean and what they can teach us, it's really remarkable. So it's not surprising that the largest book in the Bible is the Psalms. It's, it's a songbook of 150 songs that, that help us honor God on our best days, on our worst days, and everything in between. That's what this series is all about. The songs of life that we sing. The songs of life, the emotions of life that we have trouble expressing. We're going to look at seven different emotions each week, or uh, throughout this series, over these next seven weeks. One different emotion each week. And something else really cool you'll see later in the service. We, we actually have a surprise for you. We have a song dedicated to each psalm as we go throughout this series. We're going to sing later. But I really think this series can be encouraging to you because we're going to talk about the highs and we're going to talk about the lows. We're going to talk about, jo- we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about trust. We're going to talk about fear. So the first emotion we're going to look at today is wonder. Wonder. And that's what Psalm 19 is all about. This song, or this poem, you could say, was written by David. David was a man after God's own heart. He was such a wonderful leader and king of Israel, though he had his great falls and mistakes. But at the end of the day, he loved the Lord in his heart. And this was written by David, and I want us to read it in its entirety, and then I will pray for us after we read the Scripture. So let's read Psalm 19, verses 1 through 14. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and droppings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. 
Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you now. And after listening to your words that you have given us through David, written down so long ago, yet still alive today, may your word speak in a very special way to our hearts this morning as we acknowledge your greatness. May we be filled with wonder. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So on our way back from Nashville, uh, we stopped in Chattanooga, and we went to Rock City. Anybody ever done Rock City? Yeah? It's a really cool place. It was super cool. That's my first time uh, experiencing it, and so the kids loved it. Uh, and I tell you, I got to say, it's, it's really impressive because there's this one spot at the top of Lookout Mountain uh, where they have this kind of sign, and it shows you that if you look in certain directions, you can actually see seven different states. Now, I'm not 100% sure I believe them on Kentucky and Virginia. That seemed like a stretch, or maybe my vision's not quite that good. But you can see seven different states from Chattanooga, Tennessee, on the top of that mountain. It's really remarkable. And I can't help but look and stand there and look out at the horizon. Miles and miles and miles away, you can see mountains far off in the distance. And I think when we stand there and when we see something so great and magnificent as a view like that, in a moment like that, we can't help but be filled with a sense of wonder and amazement. We can't help but think as Christians that our God is incredibly awesome, that he is magnificent, that his power extends beyond the skies. You see, Psalm 19 when you read it with a proper perspective and with a humble heart, when you approach this text in the right manner, open to what the Lord wants to tell you and reveal to you, you know what Psalm 19 does? It cultivates a sense of wonder in your heart for the Lord. That's what David is expressing here. That's the emotion that he is feeling as he is writing these words that are reminiscent of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. David now, writing this psalm, is just looking to the skies and acknowledging the greatness of the Creator who created all things. And so this psalm instructs us to feel the emotion of wonder as we look at who God is. And we see that in this psalm very uh, organizationally, David wrote this in two major ways. Two major ways we see this about who God is. Number one, David instructs us to wonder at his greatness, which is revealed in his creation. David says, look at God's greatness by looking at his creation. Look at verses 1 through 4 uh, and to the beginning of verse 4 again. He says, the heavens... Declare the glory of God. The sky above 
proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Isn't that amazing? David is saying that the cosmos itself, the universe, outer space, creation in general, all the things you can see in this world are speaking to us, yet they say no words. But they're telling us something. They are telling us and revealing a general truth to us that there is a creator. The world around us is telling and screaming to us that there must be a God. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1. In Romans 1, Paul acknowledges, he he talks about this very same thing in verses 19 and 20. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to all people, to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, And his divine nature had been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What a wonderful verse. Because it is telling us, as Paul is affirming here, what deep down all humans know to be true. Deep down, every human, even those who would say they are atheistic or perhaps not sure that there is some kind of higher being, I believe sincerely deep down, we know that in the things that have been made, as Paul says there, we see intentionality. We see design in the things that have been made. We see that there must be an intentional designer who made all of this amazing nature and beauty around us. And we know this by looking, Paul and David both say, by looking at his handiwork. We know this by looking at his artwork. And just think of some of the most beautiful things that stir your emotion and stir your soul for the Lord in his creation. For me, I love sunsets. Like just, just looking out sometimes, especially if you can see far off in a distance, perhaps over a mountain or, or a valley, uh, which we have lots of here in Florida, so I get to do that all the time, right? Uh, you know, we just look out and you see a beautiful sunset. Man, that, is just, that just stirs my emotion for the Lord. Uh, maybe perhaps for you, it's just standing on the edge of the ocean, just standing at the beach with your, your feet in the water, just looking out and as far as you can see. It's just ocean. It's just water. And it continues and it continues. Or maybe for you it is the mountains. I know a lot of you like to go vacation in the mountains. And it's so beautiful up there, the different scenery and the things you've seen. Maybe some of you have traveled the world and you've seen all kinds of landscapes. But you know, even just looking up at night at the stars, that's another thing that really just stirs my emotion for the Lord is just recognizing, man, how in the world did He do this? I mean, there's Jupiter, there's Mars, right? How how did he do this? You see, God's creation is speaking to all people that this is not random, that there is intentionality in all the things that have been made. But think about all that science has revealed, right? I mean, Christianity and science, some people say they don't go together. Well, they do go together. Science reveals to us what God has already done, 
All that, God has, all that science reveals to us over the years as to how these things function, right? The knowledge, that knowledge should bring so much more appreciation and wonder to our hearts as we look at God's magnificent creation. Everything He has created, it all screams intentionality. It shows us that this, this God is a, a rational being and has put careful thought into His great design. So, so David says, take for example the sun, right? Look, look what he says in, in verses, the end of verse four uh, through verse six. He just, he talks about the sun. He's like, you know what, man, this is, this is worth talking about. It's so amazing. He says, in them he has sent, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. David is telling us the sun does the same thing. <clears throat> excuse me. The sun does the same thing every day that it was created to do. Let me give you some interesting facts here about the sun. This, this is incredible. I, I really wanted to share this with you because it's just mind blowing. The, the sun's radius, get this the sun's radius is 432,690 miles. That means you could fit roughly one million Earths inside the sun. Whoa. One million of our planet, right, could fit inside the sun. It is that big, right? We are 93 million miles from the sun, yet it only takes its light eight minutes to travel to us. That's incredible. And, and just think about how God designed our atmosphere to welcome the sunlight, right? To welcome the warmth of the sun and contain it at just the right amount to nurture our planet. But isn't that amazing? That's incredible. And, and so from David's vantage point, right? And he didn't know all these facts back then. Yet still, he noticed something about the sun's consistency, it follows the pattern and design it create, its creator has given it, right? So he personifies the sun and says, it's like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. It, it runs its course with joy like a strong man. It is obedient to its creator every single moment of every single day without fail. You see, all of this grand and amazing truth of our world and our universe should leave us with a sense of wonder at God and his power and his majesty. But, you see, as spectacular as all of those things are, there's still something lacking. As spectacular as his creation is, this still doesn't reveal to us exactly what God is like right? I mean, it's one thing to look at the sun and the moon and the stars and say, wow, there must be a God. But how do we know what he's like? They don't tell us anything about his character. We don't even know if he's knowable. Is he a personal God or is he distant? Does he even want to know us? Is he relatable? The universe, the creation doesn't tell us any of that. But that brings us to the second half of David's song. You see, in the second half of his song, he starts talking about 
how we must wonder at God's attention that is revealed in his word. In other words, David is telling us here in the second half of this psalm that yes, God is personal. He is a personal being who wants to know you. And he has revealed himself to us through his word. He gives, he gives his attention to us. Now, fathers, dads out there, you know, today's Father's Day. It's a good time to think about this, right? You, you know what kids, you know what kids want really more than anything else from their parents? They just want to know that you love them. More than anything, they want to know that you love them unconditionally. And you know one of the best ways to show them that you love them unconditionally is by giving them attention. <laughs> it is. Now, uh, let me say this. I'm talking about the right kind of attention, okay? So, so not spoiling them and giving them everything you want or everything they want, right? That's how you create a little monster. You don't do that, right? But being attentive, being attentive to their needs, being attentive to their strengths and their weaknesses, and, and attending to those by taking the time to parent them and shepherd them through each up and down of life. That's what your kids need. That's what they want, is that special, loving attention. But here's what should really blow your mind. The God who created the sun that we just talked about, the God who created this earth, and all the intricacies of our creation, of this creation, He gives you that kind of attention. He has set his attention on you. He wants to be a loving father to you and love you unconditionally. He wants to know you. This is remarkable. This is remarkable. The fact that God has made himself knowable to us, that, that he wants us to know him, it's remarkable because of our sin. It's remarkable because all of us are guilty of, of wonder towards something else. We're all guilty, in other words, of, of marveling and letting something else in this world besides God captivate our souls and our hearts and our minds. We all look to something in this world, an idol, if you will, in place of God. We're all guilty of that. It could be your career. It could be the desire for more money. It could be a relationship. It could be anything in this world that you place above God. And we're all guilty. Yet, God wants to know you. And he specifically revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Who came to earth to know you to die for you. And I'll talk more about that later. But this is remarkable, that, that God has made himself known to us, especially in spite of our sinful rebellion against him. I mean, listen to, listen to the amazement in David's own heart in, in a different psalm. Psalm 8 is kind of a parallel psalm to Psalm 19. Look at Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. Kyle read this to open our worship service. David said, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you care for him. David looks up and sees the majesty of God's greatness and his power, and all he can think, all he can think is, who am I? Who am I living on this tiny little planet that can one million of these earths could fit in the sun? And here I am in my small little self in this small little part of this small planet. Yet you know me by name and you love me and you want me to love you. You want to know me. You've given me your attention. So in Psalm 19, David is talking about this special attention God gives humanity. And he goes on, he expounds on this in in the song, and he talks about how it's primarily given to us through God's Word, or through what we call today the Bible. Look at what he says in verses 7-9 through of Psalm 19. David says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You see, David's talking about God's Word. His written Word that he has given us to read and to meditate on and to digest. <clears throat> so God's Word is his revelation of himself in specific terms. Foremost, through the the Word, Jesus, God in the flesh, but also through His words, the Bible. So, here's a good question. How do we know know what God is like? Well, number one, we look to Christ. And number two, we look to His Word. We look to the Bible. Right? How do we know what God is like? He tells us in His Word. He tells us. He reveals himself to us. So, let me ask you this. How do you cultivate wonder in your life for God's word? How can we look at God's word and talk about it the way David does? Well, number one, I think you have to know it, all right? And number two, I think you have to properly respond to it. So we have to know God's word, the characteristics of it, and appreciate it, and then properly respond to it, right? So that's what I want us to see, and that's what David teaches us along the way here. So number one, David talks about the characteristics of God's Word. Look at verse 7. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. In other words, God's Word is perfect. It contains no fault or error. It could not be improved upon. You can't add anything to it to make it better. It is perfect. It's perfect for reviving our soul. It gives life to us as we receive it. He continues, he says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In other words, God's word is sure or trustworthy. You can count on it. To do what? You can count on it to grow you in your faith, to make you wise over time as you engage with it. Verse 8, he says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's Word is always right. And living life rightly according to God's Word will lead to joy. He says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's Word is pure. So many things in this world are corrupted. 
and distort truth, but God's word has no corruption. It is pure and therefore able to enlighten us to the truth of reality. It helps us see through the distortion of truth in this world. David says, verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. In other words, God's word will last forever. As we learn to fear the Lord in a healthy reverence and wonder, we realize that God's word will always sustain us because nothing can overtake it. Nothing can stop its power. It will endure forever. And then he lastly says about another characteristic of God's word, he says the rules of the Lord are true. All of it is good and righteous. All of God's word is righteous altogether. All of God's word is truth. So if we're going to learn to love God's word, we need to know God's word. Some of us truthfully one reason our hearts are not filled with wonder, one reason our, heart, our hearts are lacking that sense of wonder of God in our daily practical lives is because we never read about Him. We hear others talk about Him. We may come to church and hear a sermon once a week, but we don't actually spend time listening and digesting and taking in what our Creator has said about Himself. That's what the Bible is. Do you see how amazing the gift we have in our hands today is? So now the question is, well, what is our proper response to something so perfect, to something so powerful that's at our fingertips daily? And that's what David tells us here, starting in verse 10. He talks about our response to God's Word. And first of all, it is wonder. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, More to be desired are they than gold, the words of God, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. David is telling us nothing, nothing compares to knowing God through his word. Not even a mass amount of wealth, the best gold, the most money in your bank account, nothing should excite you more than God's Word. Not even the daily creature comforts we all enjoy, such as sweet honey he talks about, or chocolate donuts, whatever. <laughs> Which we have some for you dads out there. We haven't told you that yet. <laughs> now you're like, okay, you need to hurry. <laughs> but rather, in Matthew 5, 6, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's the righteousness of God that brings you that lasting satisfaction that nothing else in this world can bring you. Shouldn't something that revives your soul and makes you wise and brings you joy and enlightens your eyes and something that endures forever and never fails, shouldn't something like that make you feel this way about it? Shouldn't we have that sense of wonder in us? But do we? Do we treasure God's word like this? Because when we do, our response will be obedience. And that's what David says next in verse 11 through 13. It's not obedience out of fear or obligation, but out of joy. Listen to this. He says in verse 11, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, 
So God's word warns us. And in keeping them, there's great reward. And who, who can discern his errors? Who, who can know? Who can really know and have the wisdom to understand their own selves so deeply to know if we're sinning against God or not? Well, God's word helps you do that. Declare me innocent from hidden faults, David says. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. In other words, David is saying, as we wonder in amazement of God's word and, and its truth and its power to transform us, guess what, it, guess what happens? It leads us to obey. It, it leads you, if you have that sense of gratefulness in God, of, your, of God in your life, that leads you to obedience. That's how you obey the Lord. It's not out of fear. It's not out of some sense of religious duty or obligation. It's not out of peer pressure because your mom told you to go to church. It's because you, you are amazed at him and what he has revealed to you. And you feel the power of God as you read it and as you live it. And it leads you to want to obey more and more out of joy. The power of God's Word transforms lives. I don't care what addiction you've had. I don't care what sin you have committed. The power of God's Word through Jesus Christ and faith in His name will change you forever. It doesn't make you perfect, but it makes you stand in His presence. And it leads you to want to obey Him and love Him by searching your heart as the sun shines on every part of the earth, David says. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Well, you know what? Nothing in your heart is hidden from the light of God's Word. So it will expose, David says in these verses here, 11 through 13, when you open your life to God's Word, you know what it's going to do? It's going to do some surgery. It's going to do some surgery on your heart, and it's going to expose the sin that is there. You're going to start to see the idols that you've been worshiping all along instead of God. You're going to start to see the things that you've put on the throne of your heart instead of God. But God's Word is going to point those things out to you, and He's going to reveal those things to you, and then you know what He's going to do? He's going to lead you through the Holy Spirit to confess those sins to God, and the Holy Spirit will help you repent, which means to turn away from those things and turn to Christ for life. Real, true, abundant life. Sins, hidden faults, David says. Sins we weren't even aware of, but also the presumptuous ones. In other words, those sins which we are aware of and we think we're hiding in the dark, but really God sees. But as we repent, God's word transforms us with grace and it leads us to obedience out of joy. Thirdly, David says, verse 14, you know what God's word does? You know how we should respond to it, I should say? We should align, align our whole lives according to it. Look what he says in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David says our whole lives must be aligned with the Word of God. As we wonder at it, it leads us to obey. And as we continue to live a pattern of obedience, even though we still struggle with sin, our desire is to obey. That leads to alignment. Our lives being aligned with the will of God. It leads to better self-awareness and knowledge. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said, He best knows himself who best knows the Word. You want to know your true self? 
Look into the mirror of God's Word. Let it read you, because it will. We must align our lives, our entire lives with the Word of God, and let God's Word shape us into who He wants us to be. And I have to ask you, you know what, what's shaping your life right now? What's really shaping your life? Because something, something has captivated your heart. It could be a material possession. It could be a relationship. It could be anything, literally anything in this world. Something is shaping you. But what David is telling us here, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be shaped by you and you alone. To help us express this sentiment, this emotion of wonder, Kyle and Emily are going to sing a song straight out of Psalm 19. As they sing, I want you to sit and I want you to not just listen, but to pray. To pray to the Lord and confess any of these hidden faults, any of these presumptuous sins that you've been struggled with, but specifically anything that the Lord is revealing to you right now in this moment that has captivated your heart more than God Himself. Where is your wonder? Where is your awe? Where is your marveling? Let's confess those things to the Lord. May the meditation of our hearts may be forever set on Him.
As we think about the wonder and amazement of God, you know, the one place that should captivate our wonder more than any is the cross. Because what the cross tells us you know, we, we express here, David expresses that, that, Lord, you are my rock because of your greatness and your power and what we see in creation. But you are our Redeemer because of your special love and attention. You see, when we look to the cross, we see God's special attention to us. And what we see is that the God who created the heavens and the skies and all the things that leave us in awe and amazement, that God came to earth and became one of us. You see, it's not just that He knows us. He became one of us. And He lived the life that you and I struggle to live we try so hard and we fail and we fail and we mess up and we make mistakes and we sin. Yet Jesus came and He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And He lived it for you. He lived it for you in your place as your substitute. And that led Him to the cross where He died the death that you and I should have died for our own sin and rebellion against Him. But He died in our place because His special love was set on us. And that's not the end of the story. He rose from the grave. And He's alive today and His special attention and His special love is still fixed on your heart. What's our response to that? What's our response to this kind of overwhelming, amazing love? Our response is faith. Our response is to look at what Christ has done and wonder in amazement at the cross and kneel before it and say, Lord, I have nothing to give. All of my moral goodness is nothing. All of my sin is nothing. All of my trying and my effort is nothing. All I have is You. So Lord, I cast away whatever else has captivated my wonder, and I turn it and I fix it on you. That is salvation. If you're here this morning and you know that that's what the Lord is doing in your heart today, and maybe He's been speaking to you in that way for a long time now, I just want you to know that I'm here and the pastoral staff, we are here to talk to you. and We'll be hanging around. I'll be in the cafe. Come up to me and let me know. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be baptized. Maybe you have questions about joining our church. We would love to answer those questions. Whatever questions you may have about what we've talked about today and what it means to truly wonder who God is, we would love to talk to you. So please find us after the service. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, Kyle's going to dismiss us. And uh, fathers, happy Father's Day to you. I hope you have a good day. Go home, sit on the couch and watch some golf. All right, that's what I'm doing. God bless you guys.